The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by E.J. Snyder. E.J., not a good week, but we are going to try to cheer ourselves up with some bourbon. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing bourbon tonight. That's how I'm doing tonight. Uh, it's <laughs> not uh, It's not been a good week. It started off with a somewhat crappy uh, Bears game and has gone downhill since, but I think we've got a good approach to it, and... Uh, I brought on uh, a bourbon I thought was appropriate. I I don't know about you. I vacillated back and forth between something I really hated because it would be a bitter taste in my mouth and I would associate it with the loss or something really good to treat myself because I already got my ass beat this week as a Bears fan. So I settled somewhere in the middle and went with something that's pretty easy drinking, but it's got a great name backbeat bourbon and man did the bears backside take a beating so that seemed appropriate it's about 75 percent corn bill uh makes it reasonably easy to drink uh it's nothing special but it's tasty what do you have so patty actually pointed out that we have a lot of rules happening right now <laughs> yes, she over did. Beers because <laughs> i started the comeback cocktails earlier this year and it becomes bears over bourbon when the bears take a bad loss and then of course you know a, a big win deserves like a really special beer and then we have all these themed beers from time to time and yeah, I don't know. We are it's just, we are um, ritualistic. It's true. Yeah, it's just you know trying to mix it up a little bit. So I found a bourbon that made the most sense to bring on the podcast this week, given that we just got beat up by the Los Angeles Rams, and this is Angels Envy, mm. because I'm certainly envious of a lot of what the LA team had going on there. Um, I've had this bottle for a while, I will be honest with you. I have not drank much of it. As you can see... Yes, there's, there's a good maybe, bit left there. There's maybe two drinks out of that. And so what's interesting is that I bought this a while ago, and people seem to really like this. It's, it's kind of getting a little bit of a following. And my first couple of drinks were like, eh, it's all right. And so I'm curious. I'm gonna. I'm coming back with a with a with a renewed openness about 
um, what what this could be. And, and you know, it's a fun bottle. It's got a you know, it's got a fun shape. The the cork has a couple of wings on the bottom of the cork. You I know, know like, you're cool. a sucker for the, a good cap. I, I'm a sucker for good presentation, right? Yeah, good indeed. marketing. Indeed. Like I'm I'm all about that. Uh, I one of the really the what this is all about is that it is aged in port barrels. Oh yes. And that is pretty unique for bourbons. Now, there's plenty of that in the scotch market. There's a number of pretty good distilleries that do a port finish, but that's really unaccessible for most of us most of the time, right? Those are usually pretty expensive scotches. And so this is getting that same idea in your hands at about $45 a bottle as opposed to something like a, you know, a Balvini port age which would be a couple hundred dollars uh i think glenn Marangi does a port one for a little bit more reasonable but it's still going to be 80 dollars. so this gets it in your hand for about 45 so uh, I, I i praise them for the concept of of stealing this idea from the scotch realm bringing it over to bourbon and getting it in your hands for a reasonable price I'm all about that. Um, that's one nice thing about the Backbeat Bourbon is it's completely reasonable. I think it's somewhere about 30 bucks a bottle, 28 30 depending on where you're buying it. And it's very drinkable. It's it. We talked about this uh, last week about having drinkable beers in your fridge, right? Sometimes you just have a lot of heavy beers or dessert beers or, or spicy beers or citrus beers, and all you really want is a beer beer. Um, and... It's kind of the same way with backbeat bourbon, right? Sometimes you don't want smoky or super expensive or this or that. You just want like some bourbon to put in a glass over ice, and backbeat's really good for that. So I think the nose is actually kind of strong. Uh, a lot of acetone on the nose, which is kind of interesting. The first sip is really it's got you get that sweetness from the port, which is good, and then there's like four, like a full four count later. You feel the burn, and then that burn lasts for quite a while. And so I think that that is actually kind of what I remember about this was that it's like, yeah, you don't know, there's a couple of things that are kind of fun about it, but it's it's not really that refined. Which again, it's a bourbon. It's it's it you know a lot of bourbons just kind of hit you in the face, and that's fine. Um, but the, it's kind of has one note, and then it's got a lot of alcohol. It's not very smooth. So, uh, I'll, you know, whatever, I'll drink it. I told uh, somebody on Twitter that I would keep it to three ounces tonight. And uh, we'll we'll go from there. So that's impressive. Uh, I like I like your restraint. Speaking of being hit in the face, um, yeah, it's mm. pretty much what happened to Chicago on their trip out west. Uh, they got to visit a brand new, beautiful football palace, uh, a stadium that I actually have actually driven by. Um, last spring, I was down in the LA area and drove by it, and it looks beautiful. I've seen all the pictures. I'm looking forward to going back uh, once fans are allowed. But this beautiful place, no fans in it. Uh, I think a lot of people thought this game was going to be competitive, <laughs> somewhat even, and nah, fam, it didn't happen. Uh, the Bears got whooped in every phase. So normally we talk about that a lot, and we go back through all the sort of grim reaperness of the drudgery we're going to skip that this week because, uh, A, we don't want to get super duper hammered. 
And B, uh, <laughs> I think we have a more interesting approach. So rather than flog you back through the game you probably already watched, which I have to say, being a junkie, I went back to uh, Game Pass before the podcast tonight, watched about three quarters of it in the condensed version, and I got mad all over again. I don't normally do that. I don't normally attach emotion to a replay that I already know what the outcome is. But I have to tell you, I got mad about different things than I got mad about during the broadcast. Um, not a typical reaction for me. So we're not, uh, we'll do a lot of things for this podcast, but we're not going to subject ourselves to that again. Instead, what are we going to do, JB? Yeah, I mean, I, I tease this on Twitter a little bit and just to kind of drive home the point. My first bullet point when putting together the agenda tonight was Rams. I don't want to talk about it. And I think that's how we both felt. And, and you, independently of even before you even read the agenda, were like, this made me really mad. And I was like, yeah, I have that in the agenda. It made us mad. Let's not talk about it again. And I'm not sure that this is going to make us any happier, but we're going to take a little bit more of a big picture look at what's going on. And one of the things that I think is really important and why I really follow team building to the extent that I do and, and that I find that it, it – being a very interesting and telling way to understand what a team's doing. Not just the Chicago Bears, but you could tell a lot about what a team's trying to do, where they're at in their rebuild, or if they just don't have a plan at all, right? And and I think that it's very telling to try to say, hey, this team's pushing their chips into the middle of the table. Uh, expect them to compete here. Hey, this team wants to lose. Like, don't think that they're going to be all that competitive this year. They they will want to get a higher draft pick, right? Um, and so one of the things about that is what's your process? That's how I'm always trying to judge a lot of these things. What's your process? And are you doing the right things to follow that plan, to follow that process? And so we wanted to just kind of take a, a look about Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, a couple of things that a lot of people see on the field, you know, we see them with you, but they really have their roots all the way back in what we think are bad process. And so what we saw out of Ted Ginn, for example, are very bad execution, very bad results on the punt returns that he just doesn't seem to know how to catch. Uh, again, I put a tweet out uh, the other night. I said, I am available for the league minimum, <laughs> if you want me to just run out there out during punt plays and just watch them go over my head. I mean, I know that I can do that. I That that is not something that, that worries me to just trot onto a field and then just not catch a punt. But that's what Ted Ginn's been doing. He's, he's not comfortable back there. He's clearly not uh, an asset for the team. And I made that tweet, uh, I quote tweeted myself, uh, from three weeks ago where I said, does Ted Ginn have to let the ball bounce once before he catches it? I, I don't understand. And to me, Ryan Pace needed to see that that moment that Tariq Cohen went down with an injury. He needed to be on the phone and understanding what the possible punt returners were because he did not have that on the roster. He did not build in that redundancy behind Tariq Cohen and in the right way. And he should have known that right of way and been on the phone to get a new punt returner in. Now, the Bears have done that. They have signed Dwayne Harris. He's in the building. He's going to have to go through whatever COVID protocol that is before he can get on the field. But the punt returning nightmare will be over hopefully soon. Um, but what we all saw on Monday night was Johnny Hecker, who is a 
good punter. Like, don't don't get me wrong. He is a good punter. He's one of the, he's probably a top three punter in the league anyway. But he had one of the best nights in punter history because Ted Ginn was no threat to even try to catch the ball. And he was just basically practicing with the Bears inside the 10-yard line. It just was ridiculous. And so that's just the example. We're not going to dwell on the punt returner thing. Oh, Pace we're not. Pace has it figured out. <laughs> well, I mean, spent three minutes on it already. Pace, Pace has already signed the guy. Again, that's, that's really late. Uh, that, that took a long time. That should not have taken that much time. He should have known that he didn't have that redundancy built in. And a treat goes down. You know you have to make a call. Uh, that's a demerit for Ryan Pace in my mind. That's that's slow and lazy, and I don't like it. But it's taken care of now. Yeah. As you go back to process, though, I think it's a valid point, and it's something that I, you and I share an interest in team building. We come to it in slightly different ways, but we view it very much the same way, and it's one of the reasons that we talk about football in the way that we do is because we see that as an integral way to both understand what teams are going for and, and see how they are or are not following that plan, executing that plan, sticking with that plan, changing that plan and when and where those things are appropriate or exciting or whether they're just scattershot, like say Cleveland for the last 10 years Every two and a half years, a new plan, a new coach, a new GM, a new roster management strategy, and that just leads to complete chaos in your in your salary cap, in your personnel, in your drafting, all that stuff. As opposed to a team like, oh, I don't know, Pittsburgh, with a lot of stability um, in the coaching staff, in a philosophy, in evaluation, and they end up with a very good talent pipeline because of that, because they have a similar system a similar set of ideals every year. And there's a lot of different ways to team build. And it's a fascinating aspect of football to sort of dig into. But one of the things I'm a biggest fan of is activity, not for activity's sake, but for taking as many swings as the rules will give you. And that's trading back for picks. That's certainly my love for the UDFA market because it's basically free talent. And it's also poaching practice squads, right? When you have a need like this, there are a lot of guys around the league that Ryan Pace could have gone out and gotten, quote unquote, for free, which is, hey, we'll sign you to the active roster and you don't have to pay anything for that because it's coming off another team's practice squad. And teams like Seattle is a really good example. John Schneider is very active in trading back, getting more swings, grabbing guys off practice squads, grabbing street free agents always taking as many swings and getting those guys in the building and assessing them and giving everybody a chance to compete. And Ryan Pace has been reticent to do that. He has been more uh, towards the side of sticking with his guys, sticking with his conviction, sticking with a first choice, somebody that was drafted. Um, And it leaves this team without talent in certain places. And we see that not only in punt returner, but we also see that in offensive line. And there are options out there. Now, do they need work? Yes, and that speaks to coaching and everything else. That's another part of team building. But if you don't take swings and you're not active, it makes it more difficult for your team. And Ryan Pace is on the less active side, and that gets to me. Yeah, so let's jump into the offensive line because I think this is a perfect example of how process has failed this team. So Ryan Pace 
And the Chicago Bears and anybody that was paying attention should know that this offensive line needs work. There's no star player. I think, James, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, James Daniels is the best offensive lineman coming into this year. And he looked like he was improved by putting on some weight. I don't like Cody Whitehair at center. I have said it since we started this podcast before. He's fine, but he's he's got a ceiling at center. I think he's a better guard. Whatever decisions were made there to keep him there, I understand that it's important to keep continuity. But you're limiting the ceiling of a guy that you've you've invested in. Uh, Leno's a you know he's an average guy. I know people want to trash him, but he he's an average guy. Massey, I think, is better than people want to give him credit for. He's limited, but uh, you know again, I think he's probably an average kind of guy. Jermaine Effetti's kind of pulled off the scrap heap, failed tackle. Who you're you're kicking into guard. He's played okay, but we knew this from last year when Kyle Long came out and was nothing like the player that we hoped Kyle Long to be. And it just, you know, Kyle's body was broken and he ended up retiring and, like, seems happy in retirement, good for him. Like, we love Kyle. This is not, you know, indictment of that. But when you're Ryan Pace and you saw how the whole offensive plan just went up in smoke when Kyle Long could not be the guy that he thought and we thought that he could be, that should have sent some pretty strong signals that like, hey, I really need to invest in the offensive line. And the only thing that he did was bring in Jermaine Effetti to, to fill to fill Kyle Long's position. And so now when you've got James Daniels that's hurt, you've basically, and, and Cody Whitehair is banged up, which we're not sure if he's going to miss any time. But now you've got you've, you've taken out one legitimate starter, probably your best starter, and you've put in a guy who, let's call him replacement level talent, to be nice. To be nice, <laughs> meaning that meaning that you could sign a guy off of practice squads, and you probably get a similar effort. Maybe you get a better effort. He's, you know, Coward is not a. He's never going to be a good offensive lineman in this league and he's someone who mm, you know borderline probably shouldn't be in the league and now he's starting for you and so that to me is an indictment of process it goes back to not having those draft picks that goes back to not trading down and, and gathering more draft picks but it also goes into just kind of ignoring the warning light on your car that says hey check engine check engine check engine and you're like eh, I'm gonna, i can push it for another thousand miles and you can't. You can't. Offense, it all starts offensive line. And and this what we saw on Monday night was Aaron Donald and the Rams defensive line just destroying this this Bears offensive line. And I I, I said something to the effect of Aaron Donald looks like he's taking his reps against air. That's how bad some of those reps were, where he had won the snap you know, a split second after the ball got into Nick Foles' hands. Now, say what you want about Nick Foles, and we will here in a minute, but he can't do anything if your offensive line is getting beat a split second after the ball hits your hands. No, I fully agree. On the rewatch, it was very clear that the offensive line is the cause of a lot of troubles on this team. And we'll talk about play calling in a bit as well. But the bottom line is, if your guys stand up and all they can do is hold their ground on run blocking, 
They don't they don't turn guys, they don't move guys, they don't open lanes. They can literally stand up and hold their guy that is not lose ground on run blocking. But it's kind of like a picket fence where the gaps aren't quite big enough to get through. That's all they can do. You're not running the ball effectively. You might get two yards if Montgomery runs really hard, slips through a crack and gets hit by a linebacker. You might get three yards, maybe, maybe four. But that's all you're going to get consistently. And on passing downs, if you're Ole blocking these guys, Nick Foles has a very quick time to release. It's among the league leaders. But it's because he has to. He has guys in his face at two seconds. Um, the perfect example is backed up on their own goal line, and he, quote-unquote, overthrows Darnell Mooney wide open, who's beat the secondary. And Mooney would have run forever. Like, A, Mooney's really fast, and there was nobody there. But if you go back to the replay, the offensive line didn't rotate to the left. Cody Whitehair stood up and kind of looked in the middle. Three rushers came from the left, and there was two guys. So there's a free rusher in Foles' face. He throws that ball when Mooney's on about the 10. He's he's basically guessing about 20 yards downfield where Mooney's going to be. And he misses him by about three yards. It's an ugly miss. But for when he let it go, it's not bad. But if he'd held it any longer, it's a safety. Right. And that comes right back to the offensive line. So if they can't move anybody in run blocking and in pass blocking, I would say about one in three snaps. They did have some decent pass block reps, but about one in three snaps, they were letting, if not a free rusher, a quick rusher, somebody getting there in two and a half seconds or less um, into the backfield. And there isn't anything that works. There's no plan for that. It's like when you have third and 27 and they're like, what do you got drawn up, coach? You're like, I don't have anything for third and 27. I don't have anything for 1.7 seconds of average time before a pass. People are barely into their breaks at that point. So the other thing about this that really bothers me is people think about tackle when they think about offensive line and, and specifically left tackle, but both tackles are quite equal these days. But high quality tackles come high in the draft. It's very unlikely that you're going to get a high quality tackle fourth fifth sixth round seventh like leno is un just unbelievable like he, the fact that he's even average is amazing and he is average but there is so much quality line depth there was this draft in the third round and the fourth round even a little bit into the fifth but third and fourth were chock full you can throw a stick and hit guys like jonah jackson who's in the division um there are many others that were available in the third and fourth right so if you're going to trade back and stack up picks you can have offensive line depth at center at both guard spots for relatively low cost like a fourth round pick is not nothing third round pick you can still be getting some starter material that slipped through i agree that's a second day pick that's fine but you could have had say a third and two fourths and come away with a completely retooled interior of your offensive line of guys that we knew were going to be pretty good the Damian Lewis's of the world, Jonah Jackson. These guys are available in the third and fourth rounds, right? And they just haven't done that. And what they get is a very good guard like James Daniels going out with an injury. Cody Whitehair has looked uh, not good all year. I think he's been hurt more than he's been letting on because, quite frankly, at least three or four times a game, he gets his butt kicked. And that's not yeah. Cody Whitehair. I scouted him in college was familiar with him coming into the league. He's country strong. He's not a guy that gives ground very easily. He's getting folded over backwards at least three times a game, like badly. 
And to me, that says something's not right with him physically because he didn't just all of a sudden get a lot weaker. So you take those sort of interior key building blocks out, and all of a sudden there's interior pressure on a guy like Nick Foles who's not terribly mobile, and your offense is in shambles. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do. Yep. So the question is, and I think a lot of people were, you know, they saw the Bills release, uh, Quentin Spain, everybody, I mean, me included, like, hey, let's go up with this guy. Looks like he's going to the, the Bengals. Like, unfortunately, you called. Uh, I think you put it in, You put it into the universe. And I so, did. I want Joe Burrow to live. Sue me. I, I, I agree. I like Joe Burrow, too. So, uh, But the question I think that we have to ask ourselves is, is this something that can be solved right now on the fly, or are we going to have to live with this mess for the rest of 2020? It's pretty difficult. Today was a fortuitous day to be talking about this because it's pretty much the trade deadline. Uh, the trade deadline's coming, but with COVID protocols, deals have to be done a little bit earlier. And, and if you're going to move for somebody today, it's pretty much the day, maybe tomorrow. After the trade deadline, the options to fix this this year are going to be extremely limited. We're not going to see a lot of gifts coming the Bears' way in terms of guys getting released or injury settlements that could come back and actually play. All that stuff's going to be off the table. Right now, you might be able to go deal for uh, somebody's second-string offensive lineman that's better than Rashad Coward, but you're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to give up draft pick, and I understand not wanting to do that either. The Bears are really at a tipping point with all these moves, and this is probably the lens that we should look at this team with, is this team is all in hardcore financially they are in a terrible space money wise they have literally all their chips pushed into the middle of the table money wise there is not a lot of money freeing up after this year they're not going to get some big boon from uh, bad contracts expiring or guys retiring things like that they're right in the middle of it and they have no quarterback an offensive line that is rough a few playmakers on offense, and I mean few pretty liberally, there might be three, and a very good defense that is extremely high-priced. There's not a lot of room to move here, and so the Bears can't really push any more chips in. They don't really have any, especially with considering the contracts they haven't extended, like Allen Robinson, and the fact that they don't have a quarterback, and those are two of the most expensive options. So it's either sort of stay the course and see what you can do, which is kind of the only option because you can't go on a spending spree. There's no money for that. Or you say right now, which is a very hard thing to do at five and two, blow it up, burn it down, sell everything, get as many assets as you can and start the rebuild right now. And I don't think they're willing to do that. So it's literally stay the course. We can't spend a lot of money. Guys like Quentin Spain would be an option, uh, I think should have been an option. Other than that, you're really trolling practice squads and hoping to hit a lottery ticket, uh, and that's tough to do because you actually have to sign them to the active roster. So unless you're moving guys to IR, guys are getting hurt, guys are moving off the line, and you're really kind of going into a running rebuild where you just play out the rest of the string, it's going to be tough to get talent for the offensive line at this point. I agree. I don't think it can be solved now, and especially when you let – Spain just kind of go by the wayside and go go to help out Joe Burrow. So 
those guys don't come on the market very often. And I'm not saying he's like a great starter or anything like that. Obviously, Buffalo would have kept him if that was the case. They had a plan um, that they were accelerating to to move on from him, and he wasn't happy. And so they, they basically granted his release. But the fact is that he has starting experience in this league, and and uh, you know he, he certainly would have been an upgrade over over Coward. So what needs to happen in 2021? So, one again, you alluded to it or you spoke directly to it. The fact is that the Bears used their second-round picks on Cole Komet and Jalen Johnson. We love Jalen Johnson, of course. You know, we're keep. I'm keeping judgment reserved on the 2020 season of Cole Komet. I'm I'm going to wait until 2021 before we start talking about him at all. Um, But you know, the Bears felt like they needed to do that because they were kind of forced to fill those positions. I mean, the Bears absolutely needed that outside corner. Johnson's been incredible. You know, no no doubt there. But again, one of the things that we talked about leading up into the 20 draft was yeah, the Bears need to address this offensive line. Didn't happen. Uh, we were talking about guys like Matt Hennessy and things like that. Like, just they were there. They didn't happen. And, and that a lot of that is because Ryan Pace just has not kept or, uh, you know, accumulated additional draft capital. Now, 2021 draft, the Bears have most of their picks left, but they traded their uh, fourth rounder. Uh, uh, for last year's fifth rounder for Travis Gibson. So they don't have a complete complement. But what needs to happen in 2021? Are you looking for signing a veteran uh, in free agency if you can squeeze it in? Are you looking for draft capital to be invested in the offensive line? What do you think needs to happen in the offseason? That's a great question. I think it's the micro question. I think we need to address the macro one, which is the team building one that we've alluded to which is what are we doing here? Where are we at? Are we trying to play out an end of a quickly closing sort of Khalil Mack Super Bowl window? You know, in terms of the way they've spent on defense, that's absolutely what they think they're doing with Robert Quinn's contract. Or are we going to sit back and assess and take a very good look at what's actually in the cupboard and go, huh, we need to do this differently than we've done it. We need to adjust our process. Um, and McVeigh in L.A. is a really good, I think, allegory for that, right? He got his ass whooped in the playoffs. He went back and said, well, that sucked, and I'm not going to be competitive if I keep doing that. What do I need to do? And he changed what he was doing. He changed his personnel. Um, and he changes his approach and the bears are going to have to do a similar thing going back to this last year's draft, a very plausible scenario is look, you absolutely need a tight end at the time that they drafted Cole Komet. And I think Cole Komet's going to be a good player. I absolutely think he should be playing over Harris right now. He's demonstrated when he gets on the field that he's making some things happen. So why not play him? Because Harris certainly isn't doing anything to earn his playing time. But let's just go with the theoretical. I'm all good with Jalen Johnson. He's amazing. I loved him at the time. Uh, this isn't going back and, you know, having 2020 hindsight. He was a great player. But if you're going to take a tight end and you need some help on the offensive line, a very plausible move is to trade back out of the second round to get some extra picks. And look at who had a great game in Cleveland last weekend. Harrison Bryant. Harrison Bryant was a fourth-round pick. He was available. Is he going to give you uh, a reasonable facsimile of what you're getting out of Cole Komet? He is, and then you would probably have two more picks 
one of which you could spend on the offensive line, or if you really want to double down like Ryan Pace has in the past, both to spend on the offensive line. You still get Jalen Johnson. You pick up a couple of wild cards at offensive line, again, out of that sort of third, fourth, or fifth round region. And you can still go get, with your existing picks, a guy like Harrison Bryant. That's how you team build, right? You don't spend it on a high round tight end then go pay Jimmy Graham an exorbitant salary and get no offensive lineman and then get one injured and you end up here. Like, yes, in hindsight, these are all sort of moves, but you had the choice then and you didn't take it either. So the lack of foresight is difficult to overcome and the bill is coming due for the Bears. Yes, I think that's probably going to be a recurring theme here. Uh, I want to talk about the quarterback. I don't think we can do this without talking about quarterback. And I do think that, you know, if and when Ryan Pace does get fired, and I don't know when that is, uh, but most people in this league eventually get fired. So it's not like I'm, 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 you know, spoiling anything here. But I think that, you know, his pink slip is going to be written basically something like this. The 2017 draft bad process it comes out that you did not interview Deshaun Watson one of the three quarterbacks in the draft that's bad process I know you went to the pro day but everything coming out saying you didn't actually really consider him he gave Mike Glennon a giant contract for a handful of starts whatever that was it was weird at the time you had Brian Hoyer in the building who knew the system I'm not saying Brian Hoyer is great but if you want a bridge Brian Hoyer is fine you traded up from three to two with three quarterbacks on the board. You gave up draft capital. Again, that just sort of shows that like you just don't value that draft capital like you probably should. That's bad process. Now, results, we, saw, we watched it painfully. Trubisky, uh, the bottom fell out in 2019. And again, now we go into the 2020 offseason, more bad process. We go after Teddy Bridgewater. If you read between the lines, he felt like he didn't want to come to Chicago because he didn't feel like it was an honest, open job. Maybe you should have cut Trubisky. Just cut it right there. Show your commitment to Teddy Bridgewater, who looks pretty darn good in Carolina. Obviously, who knows about this Brady thing, if that's real. Maybe that was just a flirtation. But again, kind of the same idea of, well, you had him in the room, but you didn't do enough to woo them to get there. So now you kind of panic. You go after Nick Foles. You make a trade for a guy that, you know, not understanding the marketplace, Jacksonville definitely did not want him on the books. They wanted to kind of turn over. They wanted to be bad. So you give an asset up to acquire Nick Foles, and then you sign him to a an incredibly player-friendly deal with escalators and opt-out for performances. And you could be watching your quarterback play himself out of the contract, which some might argue That may be a good thing. Uh, But, you know, if nothing else, like you've got this guy who people are saying, well, it's actually, you know, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's not that much money. But it gets more. There's escalators in this contract, and he's probably going to hit those escalators if he stays healthy here. And so you have a guy who is on his sixth NFL stop. This is not a guy who just happened to be knocked out of, this is not Drew Brees because they drafted Phillip Rivers. You know, this is not someone who is, you know, has this top potential. He is what he is. He's, he's the fuller coaster. He's a guy that runs hot and cold, the microwave as EJ called him last time. 
he's someone who is physically limited. He's someone who is really good above the neck, but occasionally runs really cold and makes some bad decisions, as we saw on Monday night. And that's your quarterback. And so now you don't have a very good offensive line in front of him. And you've got, I don't know, I know we kind of liked him to some degree above the neck to run this naked offense. Man, can offense, we stop but... talking about this? I want to barf. <laughs> I'm serious. I know, I kind of went I, off there. I just know, I just, in general, when you look at the picture of the Bears right now, there's not a lot of bright lights. And I, I spent some time thinking about this yesterday. I had a couple minutes I was on lunch break, and I thought, let's play a game, right? Let's just okay. play a game. And I thought, let's call it 5-10-15. And the five, you're looking at the roster, and you're going to say, okay, we are where we are. And people said, oh, you're a pretender at 5-1. and one. Oh, well, what are they going to say at 5-2 and two when you get your ass kicked? I don't really care about the 5-1 and one or 5-2. and two. I care that the Bears' offense put up three meaningful points in a game. Like any game, yeah. I don't care how good the defense is. I don't care how good the other coach is. I, I I don't care. You put up three. You put up a field goal, one field goal to avoid getting shut out in 2020. Like your offense, right. for a multitude of reasons, and we're going to talk about this, doesn't function right now. It's a zero. You you basically threw up a zero. Your defense is really good. Now they had some execution issues, absolutely, but your defense is really good. So if we're looking at this roster and we're like, what do we really want to keep here, right? You know you need a quarterback. You know you need some offensive line. You probably need a second running back. Uh, you might need some tight end depth. Uh, signing Allen Robinson takes away one problem, causes others. I get that. But if you're going to retool the offense, like who are your protected guys on this roster? If you're really going to go kind of strip it down, get as many assets as you can, and that's the five, right? The core guys that you're like, both with contract and with potential, these are the guys I, I just wouldn't put on the market. And then five more is, look, these guys are, you know, they're very good on the field. Their contract is kind of iffy, whatever. I, I still think they're core. That's my 10. And then five more is like young guys who are overperforming or that you would resign or whatever. And I sort of looked at those three tiers and there's tough calls to be made here, especially because of the money that's been invested, but it's not that many guys. And you look at the rest of the roster and it's largely filler. It's expendable. And when you don't have a quarterback in place, that's rough. If you've got Aaron Rodgers calling signals and throwing the ball to whomever, or as someone pointed out this week, Justin Herbert, one of the best things about Justin Herbert's early performance is that he's doing it with no-name receivers. He's throwing to guys like Parham and Guyton, who you've never heard of, and he's making them look really good. And that is an indicator of how good Justin Herbert is. So you can build around those sort of core quarterback pieces. Bears don't have that. They're going to have to roll the dice again in the draft or in free agency or both. And you've got all this money, and you just don't have a lot in the cupboard. And you go back to this kind of 5, 10, 15 model, and you go, who would I really keep that's just like key to this team winning? And it's, I don't want to say it's hard to lay out, but it's tough to separate from the rest of the situation. And it's just, it's going to take a while 
to fix this mess. They're not one player away. They're not two players away. Uh, they're a bunch of things away, and that's a tough standpoint to look at. So I, I made this point. I filled in for Lester and the 10 thoughts on the NFL this week. And it took my, you know, I've done that. Well done, Fighter. Well times. done. Thank you. I did that five or six. I've done that five or six times over the years. And, and generally what I do is I just run around the divisions and kind of pick a team in each division to try to even things out. And then I generally end with one or two thoughts on the Bears. And my thought on the Bears is basically like, look, we've got to have reasonable expectations because this team's in purgatory. So you either can be upset about being in purgatory or you can just kind of like be like, yep, there's going to be some fun games. This team's probably going to win nine or ten games, hopefully, and we'll get a wild card uh, game. We get a chip in the chair. Maybe we have some fun in the playoffs, but don't get your hopes up. (laughs) That's kind of what this team is built for, okay? And so we can wallow in pity or we can kind of have fun with it and just enjoy the good defense and the good defensive plays and maybe Allen Robinson does some cool things. That's kind of how I approach it. You can come along with me with the ride if you want. If not, I get it. You know, people fan however they want. But what I come back to time and time again is like, I look, you know, I didn't think that Justin Herbert pick was that good because everything I read about him was like, eh, no, not going to happen. He looks really good. Okay, people are wrong. That happens. Now, same thing with like Daniel Jones. People are like, oh, no, he's going to be okay. Like, he's, re- no, I don't think so. Daniel Jones doesn't look very good. Right. So it, these things happen. People take swings and they work out. T- people take swings and, more often, they don't work out, right? Yeah. And so the Bears are going to have to take another swing. Now, they're going to have Nick Foles on the roster. Okay, fine. Is <laughs> Are they going to be able to take a swing they have in the to 21 swing, draft? Right. Here's the thing. And if Nick Foles keeps you from taking a swing, we go back to process. And that's and, and this wrong. Is, <laughs> this is essentially Vikings, right? Ugh. Like the Vikings collapsing this year. Yeah. They extended... Kirk Cousins. Oh, it's so And rugged. they have just like collapsed. They are terrible, right? And so you look at that and it's like, how far out is that for the Chicago Bears? Like you could say it's happening now and they have just like because of some f- fun comebacks. And I th- I think honestly, Matt Nagy's a good head coach. Let's talk about the play calling here in a couple minutes. Like that has kept them in games and that has won them games. But it's a knife's edge, man. Like, this could have gone wrong. This could have been the Bears and the Vikings in the cellar. It's not, and they've got enough talent to try to stack some more wins here. But what's happening in Minnesota, which, again, with some shade and fruit is is fun to enjoy, that could be happening in Chicago. And so that's what we're talking about here is, like, how close is this thing to being needed to blow up? Because the Vikings tried to retool on the fly, and that's what – Matt Nagy's trying to do here. He's trying to like push some wins so that he can save his job, which I understand. But this might be pushing us to some major pain here in 2021, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. It is a very thin edge. And and our buddy Jonathan Wood brought this up on Twitter that, you know, every week the defense can beat anybody and the offense can beat almost nobody. And depending on how that week goes, 
is how the Bears roll, right? If the other team's defense comes out a little bit soft and they actually the Bears actually end up scoring something on offense and the defense comes out and plays lights out like normal, the Bears can win that game. It's not going to be a blowout. It's never going to be a blowout with the Bears, um, especially the way they're getting calls or, or not getting calls. But they could win pretty much any game because they do have a lights out defense and if that defense comes to play maybe gets a turnover or extra the bears could win that game by a point by two points we've seen it this season it's not gonna be a blowout but they can also come out lay a complete egg on offense like they did against the rams they scored three meaningful points and have the defense not tackle as well as it normally does and not set the edge as well as it normally does and allow a little bit more on middle runs and and second and longs than it normally does and you're going to get blown out of the building right and everybody's going to go blow it up it's terrible and then next week they're going to come back play suffocating defense and win by three in the final minutes because Cairo santos kicks a field goal and you're going to say the bears are great again they're you know they're leading the division And it's going to be that way. It's not just the Fuller Coaster. It's the Bears a coaster, right? This right. is going to be the way it is. There's not going to be any like, wow, they played a complete game in three phases and they had that punt return for a touchdown too. Like, it's not going to happen, right? The defense is going to play really well on certain days and the offense is going to play just barely well enough to squeak by and they're going to win by one or three. And that's what we're going to get in terms of reasonable expectations. Yeah, it might be a 10 and 16 with a, a negative point differential. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about, and I I feel like we've kind of pushed this off, but let's at least address it here. So play calling, Matt Nagy. Man, I'll tell you, it seems like everybody hates Matt Nagy right now. And they hate him because they think he's a bad play caller. Now, this is not the day to come out and say Matt Nagy's a good play caller because there was a lot of bad decisions. But I want to roll something else in with this, and that is personnel. And one of the things that you notice if you watch a lot of football games is that the Bears run a lot more different personnel groupings than I think most teams. And when it was the first couple weeks, and this is kind of Matt Nagy's done this a lot throughout his his time here. And I can understand it on paper. I can understand it as like a management technique of like getting your guys involved and keeping them there because if someone goes down, then you've got this guy that's been involved already throughout and you can trust him or whatever. <laughs> I'd go soft on that you can trust him. <laughs> on on paper. Yeah. Right. And 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 I think that in the first couple of weeks of the year, we saw a lot of a lot of injuries because guys didn't have that ramp up period. You were expecting them to just all of a sudden be out be able to go out and play 60 minutes, and there was a lot of guys that got hurt. There were a ton of injuries on in the first couple of weeks of the year. And that was because there wasn't that long on ramp to the season to to get them in playing shape. And so Matt Nagy's approach was really smart in the in the first couple of weeks, and I really respected it and I defended it. We are almost, you know, we're at the end of October. He does not have to do that anymore. That The guys are in game shape. And so that defense no longer exists. And so <laughs> let's, let's try to deal with both of those things. Let's talk about he had a terrible play calling day. Like a lot of times people blame his play calling and it's like, well, that's mm, nah, more execution in my mind. But what happens... 
<laughs> what is the process for Matt Nagy and this offensive staff that he's put around him for how he is putting together a game plan and how he's calling games on game uh, calling plays on game day? Well, uh, this is yeah, this is the elephant in the room because Matt Nagy was hired. Uh, people say offensive genius I, I i don't know about the genius thing oh, wait, you brought that up who said that you brought that up who said that I, I don't know you brought this up on twitter and it's a great point is that somebody said genius look he's an offensively based head coach he comes from right. the andy reed tree he was the quarterback's coach of kansas city people rightly point out that <laughs> you know andy reed handed him play calling ability and then took it back right because it yes. wasn't going so well and I think we need to differentiate because there are a lot of roles in the NFL. We see a lot of teams with multiple head coaches or not multiple head coaches, but multiple coaches um, aligned to all these roles, right? Offensive quality assistant, quarterbacks, coach, play caller, passing game consultant, running game consultant. It's highly specialized. And when you have a head coach, which I think you and I both agree, Matt Nagy is a good motivator. He's a good leader of men. He understands his locker room. He's able to get them to play through rough circumstances. That is head coach material in this league. Like, he is a quality head coach. There's nothing wrong with Matt Nagy, the head coach. His clock decisions, meh, if you leave those to the head coach, meh, he's sort of average and, and has definitely had some slip-ups there. But now as we go into the other roles that are also rolled into his particular role in the Bears because of, uh, quite frankly, his own desire to have them there, he's also the play designer with help, and he's the play caller with right. help, but he's the primary play caller. Matt Nagy is not a great play caller. He is a really good play designer. He comes up with some really interesting plays. But he is a terrible play caller. And a play caller is like a pitcher in a lot of ways, or quite frankly, a catcher in a lot of ways, because it's the catcher that calls the game, right? It's the catcher that says, hey, we've got this guy. Give me this right now, because he can't hit it. And Nagy is right now terrible at that. He is blind to that. He, uh, Robert Mays, one of your favorites, put out, Everything the Bears do offensively looks hard. It looks laborious. They make it all difficult, (laughs) right? right? And they do. As I went back and watched the game, it's like they are built for three and four yard gains, and that's it. There's really nothing past that. There were very few sort of bright lights. And if you looked, you know, uh, just flipped the mirror and looked at the Rams game plan, there were many of those plays, right? There were many rip plays. There were many 8, 9, 10, 20-yard gains that McVeigh schemed up. It was stark contrast to the Bears, who looked predictable and like they never really were on the edge of that many big things. So play calling is an art. It's about understanding where the opponent is, how you've set them up. It's about rhythm and what your guys are doing or not doing. Um, and... And that innate sense of they're ready, let's take the shot, right? The great play callers have that. And quite frankly, Reed has that. Kansas City keeps people off balance ridiculously well. Their play calling script is a joy to watch. They are always 
tagging defenses routinely, drive to drive, game to game. They look like they are in control, having fun. I compared them to the Showtime Lakers earlier in the year because they were just out there trying anything and it all worked because they were loose and just attacking. Nagy doesn't look like that. Nagy looks like he's playing not to lose right now as a play caller. And the result is throwing five yards short of the stick on third down. You can't do that. So play calling duties have to be pulled out of Matt Nagy's hands. And he reaffirmed that he's going to stay the play caller this week. And that's the wrong call. He needs to look at it and say, my play calling is hamstringing this team. I've got a couple other offensive minds. I've got Bill Lazor here. I've got Ragone if I want to go to him. I've got a committee approach if I need to. I don't need to be doing this right now. I'm not doing it as well as I can. I'll concentrate on my head coaching duties, make sure we make the right in-game decisions, but play to play that rhythm play caller. Nagy's terrible at it, and he needs to give it up right now. He's just not... Well, I'll go with the positive, which is a negative. He's hurting this team. He's hamstringing this team with his play calling. And there's plenty of guys that are good head coaches that aren't having play calling duties in, in their responsibilities, right? Mike Tomlin, you know, he he trusts his coordinators to do things. Mike Tomlin's a good coach, stable organization. In that, I would love for the Bears to commit to Matt Nagy as a Mike Tomlin yeah. kind, kind of guy. Pete Carroll, same way. So, Pete Carroll, not a play caller. Great head coach. Right. Motivates his guys. Right. They come up with tough wins. He is not a play caller. He does not call plays. He does not design plays. He's a head coach, and right. I think that distinction needs to be made because Matt Nagy right now is a terrible play caller. So I think we'll both agree that it, it could be solved in 2020, but Matt Nagy is going to have to like make that decision or somebody in the building is going to have to say, eh, you know what, why don't you just hand it off and focus on these other things? I don't know if you don't do this and this thing implodes, if you're going to have another chance in 2021. I think the Matt Nagy still be around because his record is there and, and I think people like him. But I, you've already retooled the offensive coaches once. You've brought in new guys. And so at some point you're going to have to like, you know, make an official designation in the offseason if you don't do it this season. Um, but yeah, that has to be part of self-scouting and that has to be part of the plan going into 2021. Because again, I, I've been, I've been in defense of it saying like, look, you hired a guy that had like five games of play calling experience. So you, you have to know that you were going into this saying, well, I'm, I'm willing to grow with this person. I believe in him and I'm going to grow with him. But just like with Mitchell Trubisky, when you've seen enough, you know that that's not the guy of the future. We've probably seen enough of his play calling. Some of it's been very good, in my opinion. Some of it, sometimes he feels himself pretty good and 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 looks like he does he does pretty well. But it's that's in spurts, and that's not you know over a whole game, and it's not over multiple games. You know, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, that was a really good quarter, right? That's not enough as a play caller. You're going to have to bring that consistently. That the, and the good ones do the Kyle Shanahan's, the Sean McVay's, the Sean Payton's. And Andy Reid's like those are the guys that like they that's their gift. That's what they do well, and they do it so well that they're also head coaches because you have to give them that top job to be able to secure their services. Matt Nagy's path to being a head coach might be the Pete Carrolls and the Mike Tomlins, the guys that are head coaches. They are head coaches only. They are not guys that are that are calling plays or are responsible for that. They can delegate that. So 
I think that's probably all that needs to be said about that. We probably will revisit it at some point, but felt like we had to at least talk about play calling a little bit because we've avoided it because it's a little bit of a hot topic. A little bit. And we don't like to do too many, much hot no, topic. No, too here, much but, hot topic. But going back and rewatching the game, there were very few plays, even knowing what happened, that I thought, oh, this is, this is good, right? This, they've got a chance here. There's the mismatch, right? Or... The execution is so sharp. Uh, the first Rams touchdown, right? McVay waits until there's about five seconds left. He runs his offense into formation late. Buster screen is half a step late getting across. the Like, that was a pure coaching touchdown, right? The play was yes. not difficult. The execution was throw it to the outside pylon. The guy's shoulder is going to be open because the guy's going to be two steps behind him. That was a pure play-calling touchdown. And you need to manufacture a few of those. You're going to have talent touchdowns, right, where the quarterback scrambles around, misses a rush, and throws a perfect 30-yard dime. Like, it's going to happen. But that can't be all your touchdowns. you got to take some easy freebies. And quite frankly, if Matt Nagy's going to stay the play caller, what he needs to do is get rid of BU, his famous phrase that's on the play calling sheet. Like, I think right. we've seen that run its course. Don't be you anymore. We know what you is and it's not working. You need to set that aside and don't be you. Go back to like the first, I would say, seven minutes of the game versus the Rams, which is really the Rams in their script before Jared Goff got hit. And look at a bunch of those plays and steal them liberally you have the talent to run them we saw the great play to mooney where he had motion to free him up he ends up with a basically a free 11 yards motioning back across the formation dragging his defender through the middle linebacker they toss it out to him he basically catches a screen and goes 11 yards purely because of motion and play design now that's a play calling 11 yards Right, You have the talent, you have the speed, you have the diversity on this offense to do this. You're not bereft of talent. Go back and look at what worked against you and say, hey guys, like literally video the Rams and say, we're not playing this in the defensive huddle, we're playing this in the offensive huddle. You guys are going to do this next week versus New Orleans, right? We're going to do this motion. We're going to do this little drag route that they did to Josh Reynolds. We're going to do this two-level game where Jared Goff missed the running back, but we're going to throw it to Montgomery, and you're going to hit him, Nick Foles, and you're going to pick up a free eight yards. Like, it's all there. You just have to be willing to accept other people and not be so damn stubborn that your system, your call, your cadence is going to work because right now it's not, and you got to shift if you're going to win in this league. 100%. So I just want to, before we take our quick break, I just want to put this into perspective is that a couple games ago, we talked about what needed to happen with the next five games. And we said they got to win two of them. And if they win three of them, we're going to be in really good shape. They've won the first one against, against the Panthers. They lost the second one. Okay. Style points were really bad in that one, but like it's still one and one. They got the Vikings in a couple weeks, which we said was a gotta have it. So that is, I think, going to be their two. Let's hope that that holds. And I think that their best chance at that third win is the one that's coming up here against the Saints. So we will talk about that here right after the break. 
All right, EJ, we spent an hour going over the big picture stuff of what's not going well. And so let's uh, let's let's run through this preview, maybe not as in-depth as we normally do, but definitely want to hit a couple of points. So the Saints, you know, the Saints came into this year as the prohibitive favorites in the NFC. I mean, that they, they had the best betting odds or the worst betting odds, whichever whatever you want to say, to, to get through the NFC, to get to the Super Bowl. They are a team that pushed all of their chips in to the middle of the table they are four and two they just came off of a close win against those pesky panthers that we just saw 27 to 24 and i know you've watched more than just that panthers game throughout the year what are the what are the saints like what are they doing well and how are they four and two this team was you know supposed to be kind of dominating people well i would say four and two with the way the chips fall in the nfl is dominating Unfortunately, the Saints, unfortunately for the Bears, the Saints came out cold, and it was largely because Drew Brees looked beat. He looked done. His arm in the first two weeks looked like December Drew Brees. He was not throwing a ball with any zip. Uh, His accuracy was still okay, but it was really all accuracy and anticipation. He looked very much like late career Peyton Manning, and I thought, oof. If this is what they're getting in September, he's going to be done. Well, he's done the other thing. He's kind of done the Lazarus thing, and he is back to throwing the ball with zip on time and that absolutely trademark breeze anticipation towards the sideline where he hits the you know minimal window for the two-foot toe drag and, and picks up the gain. The Saints really existed on a pretty good defense. I would say a middle-of-the-road defense that has its highlights and can take its shots, both on the defensive line with Cam Jordan, and then in the secondary as well. They can create some takeaways, but they lived on their offensive line and Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara was this team for the first three weeks almost completely. Um, Michael Thomas was injured ostensibly and has been slow to return to the field for what have been loosely termed team issues. So he's healthy now, but he's still been a scratch. There's been a lot of hue and cry about that. He might return for the Bears. They might get lucky. He might return the week after. Um, But one of the major weapons, certainly one of the ones that Breeze has depended on in the last couple of seasons, they've been without. And Kamara made up the difference. It's a credit to Kamara. He's a tremendous player. Their offensive line has been controlling. They have a lot of talent there. They have a lot of money tied up there as well. Um, But now that Breeze is starting to be sharp again and has been for the last couple of weeks, it's a rough time for the Bears to roll in there. It's going to be a great test for their secondary. And they're going to have to hit Drew and unfortunately try and hit him up the middle, which is where he really doesn't like it interior pressure being a bit of a shorter quarterback is one of the things that really bumps breeze off his game if they're not able to do that this could be a very long game because the offense even without michael thomas is looking very polished yeah so i i've got a couple of keys and i think i'm kind of rolling in with that as well i answered the five questions with uh, canal street chronicles this week so make sure you're checking that out as well and one of the things that they asked me was like, well, do we fear Akeem Hicks or Khalil Mack more? And my answer was like, yes, <laughs> both. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, pick your poison. But I was saying, I think given that they lost an interior offensive lineman early, they lost Pete early, right? He was playing a guard spot. Pete. So I don't know exactly how healthy their 
their interior offensive line is. But I know how much Drew Brees counts on that and that pocket, uh, you know, to to stay strong. And so I say I think you got to worry about Hicks a little bit more. And so that's uh, that's kind of an interesting question because normally, you know, my base reaction there is like. Well, obviously, you know, Mac, you know, Mac's the, Mac's the man. But, you know, hey, uh, Hakeem Hicks can really mess up, mess with a guy like Drew Brees here. But my first key, I don't maybe I'm being a little dramatic here, but make Drew Brees beat you deep. Stifle everything underneath. And I'm kind of going off of what I've seen with Drew Brees' deep ball not being quite what it was. That's why they bring in that Taysom Hill from time to time to like. I, I, I don't really I love get the Taysom it, Hill that thing. Taysom Hill. <laughs> I I that Taysom don't Hill kid. It. He egged it's the house. I don't thing. like him. <laughs> it's. I think it's a vanity project for for Sean Payton, but whatever. But I just I think that if you take the approach of like we are going to stifle everything underneath. And we're going to sit on top of these routes, and I'm going to make you beat me deep. Now, I you might get burned, and, and that's probably not how Chuck Pagano is going to play it. But I want the Bears to try to make it very uncomfortable and force the Saints into punting situations you know, from their own, deep in their own field, and not what happened with the Rams where we're constantly starting drives inside the 10. Um, I, and I'd really like to just stifle it and try to get them on three and outs. I'd love to see – a lot of that scenario play out. I would love to see a sort of more aggressive cover three, which is not a Pagano staple, uh, but smush that stuff in the middle and have Fuller play. I know this. I know he doesn't like it, but have Fuller play a tick closer, right? Fuller is capable of press man. I'm not asking him to be Prince of Mukamara. I'm asking him not to give up free eight-yard completions because Drew Brees will do that all freaking day and get there get your hand on it make a break on the ball see if you can get a pick like all those things again force that sort of short middle stuff to be contested and tough and make him go over the top because generally this defense has enough speed with eddie jackson kyle fuller jalen johnson they can they've proved they can get deep they all have length um that gives them an advantage as well so until drew Brees shows he can get up over the top i love that plan Second one, it's kind of the opposite. Beat the Saints defense deep with some shot plays. And I, I think that you gotta you gotta scheme some stuff up. Like you've got to like have it be there. Obviously, like don't throw it if it's not there and all that kind of stuff. But I'd like to see some extra protection, maybe max protection stuff where you've only got two or three wide receivers in a route. Like I want to see them try to take advantage. Now, can the can the offensive line hold up? I mean that's Okay, I get it. And that kind of leads us to that Nick Foles quote of saying, like, hey, Nagy's calling these plays, and I know there's not enough time to complete those routes and all that kind of stuff. Eh, that's that's not a good that's not a good thing to say about your head coach. People were kind of freaking out about that. It's really not a good thing to say about your offensive line. <laughs> as a that's form, what I took as from As a it. former offensive well, lineman, I'm sure you're quite sensitive about that. But I'm with you. I think people I want to see people, people really focus on the Nagy thing. And I'm like, he kind of threw his offensive lineman he did, under the bus but he's His offensive lineman have been throwing him under the bus. If you've been watching the game, he has not had a long time to throw. Absolutely. And I would like to see the Bears do it, but I would also like to see them do it um, – unpredictably they made a lot of shots to darnell mooney they basically said mooney you're our fast guy versus the rams they took a bunch of deep shots to him now i credit the bunch of deep shots 
But if you know that Mooney's the deep shot guy, you're going to stay right. with him. Throw a couple down the field to Allen Robinson. Make him go up and get it because he is capable. He will win in a different way than Mooney does. But he does win, yep. and he has a lot of experience that way. So don't just make it Mooney for the deep shot. I'm all about Mooney and motion and freeing him up through a rub to get him a deep shot because he seems clearly capable of getting open. He was open several times during the Rams game and didn't get hit. But also, don't neglect A-Rob. They threw very few passes to Allen Robinson early in that game. Get him hot. He's a player that excels with touches. And make a couple of those more than 15 yards. Go for it and see if you can get him. I'd rather have Allen Robinson going up one-on-one on a contested deep ball than Darnell Mooney because Darnell Mooney's a whole lot shorter. I'll tell you what. Four targets? Not nearly enough. For Allen Robinson. No, so Allen Robinson's currently in the concussion protocol, so hopefully he's okay and, and, and he's healthy. There's a nasty um, shot he took, helmet to helmet, so I hope he's okay And well. was that flat? It was not. However, it wasn't I interesting. put on Twitter, if you switch those uniforms, there's three flags in the frame before he hits the ground, especially sure if that's Fuller Kyle Fuller. Got kicked out. That's right. If yeah, that's sure Kyle got Fuller and you that hear hit. that smack, from that particular hit, and literally the sideline commentator had mentioned it earlier in the game, how like church-like quiet SoFi Stadium was. She's like, honestly, when the PA announcer stops talking, I want to be quiet because I feel like I'm talking out of turn. <laughs> like with right. no crowd noise there, people were like, oh, I don't know if the refs are blind. And I replied to a guy on Twitter and I said, are they deaf? Like that makes a sound when a helmet hits yep. a helmet that much in an empty stadium. It's a crack. You got to go back and look at that. And he nailed yep. Allen Robinson right in the base of the skull. And, yes. you know, that's it's certainly not a nice shot. But honestly, with the way the Bears defense has been penalized this year, if you switch those uniforms, that is an automatic first down. A hundred percent. And it, and, and if Kyle Fuller made that play, Kyle Fuller would have made it with his shoulder and he would have got flagged for it. <laughs> That's where we're at with Kyle Fuller. Uh, and Akeem Hicks. He's making it goes, perfect it goes plays. Around. If you want my tinfoil hat theory, do you want my tinfoil hat theory? I mean, we're an hour 10 into this. Let's do All it. right. My tinfoil hat theory is the odds makers really freaking hate teams that score three points. They really do. They're like, yeah. screw this Bears offense. It's not 1940 anymore. Give me a damn quarterback in Chicago. So drive them down. Make them, give them a bunch of crap calls. Increase their draft position. Those guys need a quarterback because we need to make money. The house needs to make money. And we can't make money on a team that scores three points repeatedly. Well, just for the record, 1940 championship game, the Bears scored 73 oh, points Jesus. to zero points for Washington. And, and Bo so Jackson just, would roll up 400 yards, so there we are. I, no, I'm just saying <laughs> you picked 1940. I thought it was worth mentioning that 1940 championship game. The I, I count on you for these formation, things. Man in motion, 73 to nothing. I, so. I count on you for these things, JB. I do. <laughs> Point number three, key number three, uh, defense just has to make a play or two. This is this – is it's not going to be a win without the defense stepping up and making plays. And I think that you saw it was just interesting, right? Mac had that that strip sack or you know that forced fumble, whatever you want to call it, on on Goff, and you know the Rams recovered it. And it's just one of those things where it's like, what was Gibson doing with the like just swatting the ball the down? Goalkeeper like move that was really odd. Yeah. And 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 it's like okay, like 
that that's the kind of play man that changes the whole complexion of the game ties it up at 10 things are just very different right but those plays like they have to be in the mindset of like i need to score not i need to make this pass break up like that's the kind of thing that needs to to flip here and they gonna have to do it against drew Brees here the defense is gonna have to make a play maybe two and 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 that's really you do those three things I think the Bears got a chance. I, I don't think that this is I don't think this this is an unwinnable game. I think this is especially it's in Soldier Field, you're not on the fast turf in the Superdome. I think this is something that can happen. Uh, and so I'm not saying it's a likely win or anything like that, but I think it's a lot more winnable than what a lot of people are giving it credit for. I'd love to see a little bit of weather. <laughs> Just a little bit because mm, slow him down, you know, slow down Alvin Kamara just a bit. He's such a blur, such an incredible talent. Um, give their offensive line a little worse footing. Uh, see if you can't maybe get David Montgomery going as a mutter a little bit. He's certainly used to it from his college days. So those are all things. The Bears defense, I think, even more than making a play, which they need to do, they need to make the basic plays. They gotta wrap and tackle. Danny Trevathan had a bad spinoff. Um, the tight end scored from 15 yards out after a missed tackle. Um, Tayshawn Gibson had not only his knockdown, but a couple of misses. You can't let guys go. There was the rugby scrum play that Akeem Hicks got a penalty on top of, where you just sort what of. What was that? They sh- That was, again, if you switch that, if that's Montgomery, they blow that thing dead at the six. Why wouldn't you blow that dead right away? I've never seen it go it, on that again, long. It, that was the one you're that, asking for trouble. Yeah, that one really raised my like. What they haven't? Because if if anything's criticized from NFL officials, it's the quick whistle, right? There was the one with Deshaun Watson a week ago that was like, "Hey, he wasn't even down." Like they're trying to protect him from a kill shot. I get that, but literally, you've got a guy standing up for four or five seconds on the three or four yard line, and then you get upset when a three hundred and fifty pound Akeem Hicks comes in and goes, "Well, if you're not going to blow it dead, I'm just going to squash it." Well, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. So it was a really odd play, but the defense has to make the basic play. They have to fill their lanes yep. on the middle run. John Jenkins is back. He's got to play with more force. Danny Trevathan, if he's going to be in there as a run stopper, can't miss tackles. That's not a thing. And then the guy opposite Khalil Mack, which is usually Jonathan Vaughters, has got to set the edge. Most Mingo, same issues. Most of the Rams' long runs were away from Khalil Mack, which makes sense. But the edge setting was non-existent horrendous lazy whatever you want to call it there was just a wide open space i'd rewind the play i was like who's over there oh 93 okay all right occasionally it was mingo but mingo has been fairly decent i want to see mario edwards quite frankly get a bunch more snaps and maybe even more than quinn and i know that Mm -hmm. sounds like heresy based on their contract mario edwards is a little less than a million quinn obviously quite a bit more than that mario edwards has provided a spark and he's played aggressively and that's what we need right now opposite that mac spot on the other edge so i'd actually like to see harris's snaps at tight end gone Komet replacing him hmm. uh you know quite frankly if look if a rob's gonna be out i definitely want ridley active put him in as the fourth receiver i want to see if there's anything there and on defense get edwards in there and get Vaughters out and see what right. happens 
right? Hopefully Jenkins comes back a little bit more game leg after a week and is able to really plug up that middle as a plugging nose tackle. Those would all be good things. And again, I think what you said is true. The Bears have sort of a puncher's chance if those things line up. Our friend Jacob Infante mentioned that uh, the next backup was Alvin Kamara, who's one of my favorite players in the league that doesn't wear navy and orange. I have to admit it. I I really do uh, like Alvin Kamara's game. I think he's just fascinating to watch. And they say, he's like, watch out. Alvin Kamara's up next. What is he going to do? And I was like, uh, watch out. After that, it's Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook. We've got three of arguably the top five backs in the league coming up against the Bears defense. That's clearly the weakness is stopping the run. So definitely something to keep an eye out for and to see if they can improve that. So let's circle back to the Bourbons because – I can't talk anymore about this Bears team without <laughs> going down a bad path With right more now. more bourbon. So, yeah, you're holding a bottle of bourbon talking about how bad the Bears are. That's a rough combo. So here's the thing. I I think that my original opinion about this was right. Now, uh, it, you can disagree with me, and, and if you like it, I'm, I'm not saying that you're wrong. It, it's just not, it's not what I look for in a bourbon. It doesn't have enough character. It's trying to be sweet and smooth but it's not right it's too hot at the end that last drink i took was still super hot like and i've been drinking you know i drank a pretty pretty big dram there and so to me this is not what i want straight now i'm gonna have to figure out what to do with it now so that means i'm gonna have to find a cocktail gonna say you got two-thirds of a bottle of bourbon you got to figure out what to do with it right and so if anybody's got ideas like oh i put it in this cocktail let, it, let me know because I, I'm willing to try it in cocktails. But in terms of just like drinking it, I think that for me, I know that there's better port uh, barrel aged scotches that give me that like sweet smooth in a much better form. And so I'm going to go that direction. And I just can't I just can't drink it neat. So that's kind of my review, kind of a kind of a negative review, I guess, but which is kind of what <laughs> happened Monday night. <laughs> Uh, but I will try it in cocktail form and see if that improves it. Yeah. What about you? Uh, no, backbeat's kind of the opposite of that. It's uh, nothing special. It's not trying to be anything special. It wasn't aged in anything special. Uh, it's made with 75% corn. It It's not – it is what it is. It is a, it is a corn bill bourbon. Uh, you can drink it neat if you want to. It is not going to burn you. I tend to put mine over ice, which I did tonight. If you put it over ice, it's incredibly drinkable. Uh, it goes down fairly smooth. Again, if you're expecting highlights or fireworks or any kind of what I would call athletic drinking out of a bourbon, you're not going to find it. It is a full straight down the middle sort of Midwesty corn bourbon that is fine and satisfying and easy to down very affordable if that's what you need on your shelf it would probably go decently in a cocktail but it's again not going to bring out any notes over anything else it's not going to stand out in a cocktail sort of on its own weight but easy to drink neat um you're never going to be surprised in a bad way um or a good way so depends on what you really want in a bourbon but um straight down the middle and does well doing it awesome all right, well, uh, that's all I got. Yeah, that's a lot. We, you know, almost an hour 20, but lots to talk about and, and really sort of a fundamental 
at least for us, sort of pivot point for the Bears. What are you going to do? Are you going to ride out the string with your very expensive defense and your extremely middling offense and make, you know, limited to no changes and just hope for the best, hope for those very thin victories? Or are you going to try and get active, get creative, change some things up, give some other guys some chances, and roll the dice a little bit? And I realize that's hard to do when you've got a decent record, And when you said purgatory earlier, it really struck a chord with me because they are sort of, if this team, like you said, had had the bad bounces and was a one or two win team, they'd be willing to throw caution to the wind, try guys out, try formations out, roll the dice a little bit. But when you're sort of eh ish leading the division, it's much harder to sort of play with that cavalier looseness, but they need to do that. The the reality is if they're going to win some games, they have to take some chances. And that's it's just a tough spot to be in, and we'll see how they respond. Well, let's hope we get some good news here soon. That's all I can say. <laughs> so let's Because the Titans are on the horizon. I think the Titans are a good football team. And, again, the Saints are obviously a good football team, but they're coming into this in, in I think, a beatable form. So uh let's uh let's hope for the best uh you want to get us out yeah absolutely so as always look for our work on windy city gridiron um our podcast is there along with several other excellent podcasts give them a listen when you get the chance uh follow jeff on twitter at gridironborn follow me on twitter at the draftsman fb and until then look enjoy the Bears season it is what it is we will talk to you soon and bear down